electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. Hi, I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. Today on Squawk Pod. A record quarter for ExxonMobil, balancing giant profits for oil with big pressures at the pump and tricky politics around the world. CEO Darren Woods. I won't get into the political dynamics of what's happening and and the motivation there, but I would say uh, ultimately we've got to increase supply if we're going to continue to meet the demands of a growing economies all around the world. Plus, how environmental concern is affecting oil's bottom line. We've gotten into this uh, dynamic of where uh, people are choosing sides. It's either right or left, uh, right or wrong. Uh, and I, I continue to believe that, you know, again, this is an and equation. We're growing our production while reducing emissions. And the honeymoon begins. The bird is free. Elon Musk officially owns Twitter, $44 billion and a full soap opera later. So the big question is, is Elon Musk going to be a good corporate citizen? Those conversations, plus our economy's growing, for one quarter at least. And CNBC's Sharon Epperson reports on what may be a safe haven for your money. That's a far better return than you'll get on online savings accounts or CDs right now, if you can actually buy the I-bonds. It's Friday, (laughs) October 28th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Oh, wow. Has it finally happened? Has Elon Musk's months-long will-they, will-he, will-the-Delaware Chancery Court, courtship of social media platform Twitter, finally reached its dramatic conclusion? Well, Twitter finally accepted the rose, or sink, from the world's richest man. Musk, carrying the romantic gift of a bathroom sink, walked into Twitter HQ and is now chief twit. Squawk Box anchors Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin, as always, are on the case today. Okay, now let's talk about the big story of the morning, uh, maybe the last 24 hours. Elon Musk completing his takeover of Twitter last night, kind of against his will, but finally capitulating to some degree here after uh, the deal closes. Musk began cleaning house. He's now fired at least four top executives, including the CEO, Parag Iberwal, and CFO, uh, Ned Siegel. Let, he later tweeted, the bird is free. Now, a note on Twitter stock, it will be removed from the S&P and MSCI indices on the start of trading. That's on Tuesday. Between now and then, it will be as if Twitter is halted. Uh, a couple of notes. Uh, Parag and Ned had uh, already left before they were fired. Um, I think they kind of knew what was about to happen, so uh, they, they, they took off. The big issue inside Twitter right now, and I think it's the issue uh, of the moment, is the vesting schedule for employees at Twitter is November 1st. Hmm. So, so they have to do these layoffs. Tuesday, Tuesday is the day that if you had been working for this company for, for the last quarter or, or whatnot, you typically would have been paid. The way they would be paid is in cash, not stock. That's what he agreed to do. So the big question is, is Elon Musk going to be 
a good corporate citizen, I mean, they've worked now virtually up until the end of the quarter, and pay them as if they worked till the end of the quarter. By the way, that would be likely several hundred millions of dollars in cash. So he just paid $44 billion uh, out in cash already. He would have to go in now and spend another several hundred million dollars in cash. For people that you plan on firing? For people that you may plan on firing. And the question is, do you do that within the next basically five days? And so I think if you, if you talk to Twitter employees, the central issue, the only issue is November 1st is when we would get paid and are, are we going to get fired before then? And if we are fired, is it going to pay us for, you know, uh, up until then? For well, time served. For time there's, served. Yeah. There's 44 billion is a lot. So a couple hundred is not, but it's, oh no, it's another couple hundred. So you can look at that either, either one well, or two ways. When he, at Especially a time when you feel like you're already overpaying. Well, you're already overpaying, like already but, overpaying, but then again, you pay severance payments to anybody that, that is gonna be severed, for lack of a better word, and, and it, people are used to that. And I don't, I don't think it's enough money. Do the, do the, what is that, a couple hundred on 44 billion. So I, I don't think he, he doesn't always care about how he's viewed in, in the media and in the press, but I think in this regard, I think he'd. You think he's gonna pay out? I do. Okay. Don't I, you? I, I, I hope he does, actually, for the, for the well, sake of the employees. Well, maybe he's watching now and thinking, on it. I, I, hope, I hope he pays out just because box, I, I think it's San probably Francisco. the right thing to do. Huh? Yeah. He's in San Francisco right now. Now, in addition to that. He sees it because he was responding the other day to, uh, to that interview oh, that, we, right, that we were doing. And then there's the secondary issue, actually, of those four executives, who I think, if you look collectively, are entitled to something on the order of $200 million. Now, that wouldn't have to necessarily be paid out you know, tomorrow. Just the four of them? I believe collectively. So everybody else is only a couple hundred million dollars. The rest of the entire. The rest of the other, the others are. We're just talking about the vesting of that quarter. So one is the quarter for the vesting of the 7,500 employees collectively, and then what we're talking about was a golden parachute. And you can either like this or blame the board. They created golden parachutes for the senior executives, trying to get them to stay amidst all of this. Uh, collectively, if you do the math on that you get to potentially as high as $200 million. Does that end up going into some form of litigation because he could somehow turn around and say he doesn't want to pay? But I don't that's, know. Not, that's not connected to the November 1st. That's, that's that is, no, that's what I'm saying. That's unrelated. And that's not something where he would have to pay that tomorrow. Yeah. That's something that, you know, maybe you pay that 90 days later. I don't know if it's 100 days. I don't know what, I don't know what the, the days are. But at a time when he clearly was trying to raise cash as quickly as humanly possible to uh, complete this deal, I don't think he's necessarily going to have to I hope he doesn't have to raise additional cash, but he would need a couple hundred million dollars on Tuesday. He'd be like, oh, on it. taking his, you know, he may have that on him. You think? Yeah, he okay. could, maybe. Bitcoin. I, uh, I don't know. The U.S. economy finally posted a quarter of growth in 2022. The American Gross Domestic Product, a summary of all goods and services from July through September, increased at a 2.6 annualized rate. This follows two consecutive quarters of contraction, which is typically one of the ingredients that forecast a recession. But the report comes as policymakers continue to battle 2022's big boogeyman, inflation, still running around its highest levels since the early 1980s. I'll turn it back here to Joe. This is what I still say. The, the, the two negative quarters did not say we were in a recession, and the 2.6 did not say we're, does not say we're not in a recession. Right. That's, I, st I still think, I think that's, that's, that's the case. Yeah, shares of Amazon, 
Uh, prime example. Prime example. Huh? Very good. Huh? Sharply lower. Revenue grew 15% uh, in the third quarter, but that fell short of estimates. And then the fourth quarter guidance that's weighing on the stock. Amazon said it expects revenue between 140 and 148. Street was looking for Billion. 155. Yeah. Billion. 140 and 148. Street looking for 155. What a company. Billion. Right. Yeah. yeah. What a company. And, and it, it may be a trillion dollars if it opens at 96, where it's indicated right now. That's below a trillion. First one over in 2018. But you know, a lot of the sales has dollar related. So we should, I don't know why we, we weren't thinking about that. I'll tell you what's interesting. The way that, that it's characterized, all these tech companies flourished during the pandemic as life and work suddenly shifted. And now as those things are reversing, they're not doing nearly as well. And then right so on the- AWS was 27%. Right on the, but then Apple, right on the front, Apple reported record quarter, continuing its pandemic fueled streak. So everybody else, the, the, the party was over and everybody was looking for a chair when the music stopped. For Apple, they're still attributing the record results to pandemic related buying. So which is it? Couple other uh, notable metrics, advertising revenue, $9.55 billion was above expectations, but Amazon Web Service of $20.5 billion, that, was, that fell a little short. But that was still 27% growth. I mean, you're still talking about right. pretty incredible growth. For the anybody expectations else. expectations were so high. But we were saying, yes, it, it, when you go back in, if you ever do decide that this market is what you want to buy, do you go back into tech because it's the quickest grower? Or, or, do you? Or, or, or has it, you know, if it's down 60%, is it still a falling knife? Check this out. Amazon is not, but some of these companies were. Check this out. Seven companies have lost a combined $3.6 trillion in the last year. And with the after-hour moves, Amazon takes over from Alphabet for the top spot uh, on this list with its market cap down 814 a billion dollars. Okay, the, the meta drop of over $600 billion. I saw another article yesterday that pointed out, um, remember the rule, I think Amy Klobuchar wrote um, a law that was going to be targeting these big market right. cap tech stocks. Yep. It was written especially for Facebook at the time. Right, with these ridiculous thresholds. With these ridiculous thresholds, but you had to have at least 50 million users, I think, and you had to have at least 500 billion dollars in market cap. Right, it was a market cap and then a, But yes. it's fallen below the market right. cap. So the rule that was, right. the law that was written for it would no right. longer apply to it because it's not. Have you talked to uh, Elizabeth Warren lately? I have not. Okay. When you do, can you just ask her, okay, so we socked Zuckerberg with a wealth tax last year. Right. And he lost a hundred billion of that. How do we do the math on that? How do we, do we get any of it back? Do we, does he? If you remember, I think they were going to have some kind of Club. Credit credit program. <laughs> is it like crappy cr the capital losses where to, it takes you though, 30 years to... I'm actually more focused on... The antitrust yeah, piece to, to me is the, actually the interesting one because we've talked about this forever, which is that in a universe of innovation where some companies are going to... In a capitalistic free market system, Joe, Yeah. If you, you look, point it, to me like I'm the one who no, likes it, and you don't. No, 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 I do. You know <laughs> I, I, have actually, to, I, do. I do advocate and, for and that if you system. Go look, if you go look at the companies with the top, you know, top 10 market caps... Over the, over the different decades, yeah. it has moved around a lot. And Facebook looked like it was, you know, owned the universe, you know, well, two years ago. But, now it doesn't. But the, so, the issue with the regulators is not, it didn't You like TikTok it. more, don't you? You're not on Facebook anymore. I'm an, no, no, inst, I'm an inst, uh, insta, insta, instant. It's a problem. Wait, 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 I, I have a problem. I actually have like an addiction. I have another good idea. Finish your point. I want to hear. Yeah. No, just that, you know, does the natural market unto itself... Um, 
you know, there's this idea that we need to we need to break these companies up. We need to regulate them at, either out of existence or out of what something. And clearly, in this case, Facebook is not doing nearly what it was doing two Although years ago. Although I will say that this is a case where the threat of not being able to buy anything else, like Facebook sure. did it to itself because sure. it couldn't buy anything else, 100%. so it's spending all of this money trying to build but that doesn't what it can't buy. That doesn't require you to actually break up the company. That's, right. that's, that's the point. By the way, you could make the same argument around um, Microsoft, which is some people would argue that Google and the They're creation of Android I, 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 was a creation of the fact 11. that Microsoft was sort oh, of, I want you, you know, couldn't do anything. Chew on this. Yes, sir. We're going to get Chevron and Exxon. These sons of, they made so much money because of Putin. So right. we need this windfall profit. What about every company that benefited from that horrible pandemic? It had nothing to do with them, out of their control, this horrible external event came in and juiced all their profits, doubled some of their profits. That's another area ripe for a windfall profits tax because they had nothing to do with any of that. So we got to go back. A lot of them, a lot of them we got to go back and, and bring in some of that tax revenue. Some you, of the tax revenue that, by the way, is now, is now gone. gone. I, exactly. I think you need to go to lunch with Elizabeth. <laughs> I think you guys would have you bring, will you ask, How about Moderna? If it wasn't for you know coronavirus in that lab that developed it, um, no, that no. <laughs> I'm allowed to Steve. say that on Twitter now. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I don't know. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. Yeah, just not here. We gotta go. Just not here. We gotta go. Ixnay, Ixnay. We gotta go. Cheese will be next. Now is probably a good time to remind you to follow Squawk Box's hosts on Twitter at Joe Squawk, at Becky Quick, at Andrew R Sorkin. And show clips and podcast links are at Squawk CNBC. The one and only Squawk Box on CNBC. And keep listening, because next on Squawk Pod, soaring energy prices lead to soaring profits for the oil companies. The CEO of ExxonMobil is right after this. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. Ah, 2020. The world still in the early days of the pandemic, mostly on lockdown, and no one able to use or buy up the global oil supply. U.S. crude even dropped to below $0 a barrel as sellers had to pay to get rid of it. Oil prices yesterday, never seen anything like it. In fact, nobody's ever seen anything like this. No. uh, In fact, it's a lead story, top of the journal, went to minus... $37.63 a barrel. First time ever uh, below zero. No place to put it. 
Now, more than two years later, we're seeing a surge in demand. And not just because Americans are flying in airplanes or driving in cars, but complicated geopolitics are part of the reason. Russia invaded Ukraine earlier this year, the West responded with sanctions on Russian oil, and now supply is tight. The price of crude is up to well over $80 a barrel. Higher prices means higher profits for the oil companies. The five biggest global energy companies made $60 billion in just the second quarter of this year. These companies are in their best shape in years. Exxon's profits, are you gonna, are you gonna go after them? We're gonna make sure that everybody knows Exxon's profits. Exxon made more money than God this year. Tighter supply, higher price, well, sticker shock at gas pumps. Inflation on such a basic pocketbook issue for Americans. Their transportation costs that put serious pressure on consumers. And President Biden, in part, upped the pressure on the U.S. oil giants to match. He said this last week. My message to the American energy companies is this. You should not be using your profits to buy back stock or for dividends. Not now. Not while a war is raging. U.S. Energy Secretary Jennifer Granholm spoke to CNBC's Diana Olick recently. You know, the president is looking at this and he's got a lot of tools at his disposal, including the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. And tap the SPR, he has. In March, President Biden announced the release of millions of barrels of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve, our emergency supply, to get oil out all across the country, flood the zone, so to speak, and maybe lower prices at the pump. This month, we tapped more. And another headline, OPEC Plus, the Organization of Oil Exporting Nations. The plus is plus Russia, by the way. OPEC Plus decided to cut daily output beginning in November, limit the number of barrels out there. That decision makes the global oil supply even tighter and challenges another international relationship, the one between the U.S. and Saudi Arabia, OPEC's de facto leader. And this is all while Western officials, including American ones, are working on imposing a price cap on Russian oil exports just weeks before the European Commission's planned outright ban on Russian oil, which is to start December 5th. The idea for the Russian oil price cap, while details are still under wraps at the White House, is to limit Vladimir Putin's possible revenue from oil, thus limiting funds for the offensive in Ukraine. So it maybe doesn't cut off Russian oil entirely from the global market. The challenging, dense, interconnected web of our modern dependence on oil. It raises thorny questions. But one thing is simple. Right now, the price of oil is up, the American oil companies are profiting, and are producing more. Here's Joe Kernan. I'm glad they're producing more. Uh, back to Exxon. And yeah, they're, they're producing more. <laughs> what do you make of, of the Saudi energy minister? He's just, they don't like us. I know that. And they're mad about whatever. But saying, you know, using the... It, 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 is it as simple as using the SPR thwarts or offsets what they're trying to do no, in terms it's of far pricing? More complicated. It's far more complicated. Than but they're this. telling us it's, I mean, I agree. Yeah, if we ever really need it, this is not what you're supposed to be using it for. An election is not but why. But that doesn't explain the, the length of, or the amount of um, bad will between yeah. the two sides, right? But it was a weird, and he didn't single out the United States. He well, said, he, get, he talks about all countries right. using their, their stockpiles to lower prices let's, near let's term. Let's see what happens in the beginning of December. Then you will know which side the Saudis are really on or not. When, when the Russian embargo, when the Russian embargo, embargo comes through, comes through, you will we will find out if, if the Saudis are in it for themselves, and and don't and you know and, and, and don't raise, then you'll know you'll know 
it's not just themselves. They do have a country, and they, they've got their own concerns with, with how sure, to balance. What, what are they capturing uh, right now in terms of profits per? They're doing okay. Yeah, they're doing just fine. So they got, they need, you know, they've made a lot of promises to the people. That, and they, they, what, what, besides that, do they have a, seen a movie lately from Saudi Arabia? I don't know. Do they have anything else going on from, except for? There's far more issues than, than just the price there of oil is. that are involved here. They're, they also will point to central banks um, <laughs> raising interest rates and their currency getting crushed. Right. There's a lot of and, different and what And Putin and what's going to happen. But, you know, they're kind of allied. They, they say they aren't, I guess. But well, They are. It's OPEC plus. OPEC plus yeah. is OPEC plus Russia. And that's, Russia why and we're, that's why Europe's headed into, theoretically, a, a sharp slowdown. ExxonMobil shares responding positively after the energy giant reported better-than-expected quarterly earnings. Exxon benefiting from higher natural gas prices, cost controls, and record refining volumes. All of that helped offset a drop in crude oil prices during the quarter. Joining us right now in a Squawk exclusive is Exxon's chairman and CEO, Darren Woods. Darren, good morning. Thanks for being here. Good morning, Becky. Good to see you again. All right, let's talk about these numbers because uh, on a raw basis, these are some really big numbers. Um, earnings, $19.7 billion dollars. Cash flow from operating activities, $24.4 billion. Anybody who was looking at WTI down by 25% over the quarter may not have anticipated these numbers. Your stock's up about 2% this morning. What happened? Well, I think the big story for this quarter, Becky, is volumes. If you reflect back on the last five to six years when most in our industry were stepping back, our company was leaning in, investing at a rate much higher than our competitors in anticipation of what was to come. And as a result of that, when the call came, we were here, we answered it, we had the volumes. We, we have grown our production in the Permian. If you look at from 2017 to where we expect to finish the year, we're gonna be you know, three times what we were. The rest of industry has grown about 70%. We had record production levels in the Permian uh, this quarter, 560,000 uh, barrels a day. We brought on a brand new uh, development in Guyana that's uh, operating at above design capacity at 360,000 barrels a day. We're also investing in the downstream to make more products. Uh, we have a very large expansion at our Beaumont refinery that's expected to come on next quarter, 250,000 barrels of additional capacity. That's the biggest expansion in the U.S. over the last decade. So we anticipated the need for, for the products and basically invested uh, in, ahead of all that so that when, when it was needed, we were there to supply it. Do you think those numbers, because again, those are big numbers too, the amount of increased production, but do you think that is enough to offset critics, particularly the Biden administration? Uh, I think it was just this week, President Biden said that his message to the American energy companies is, you should not be using your profits to buy back stock or for dividends. My message to all companies is this, you're sitting on record profits and, you're, and we're giving you more certainty so you can act now to increase oil production now. When you show them numbers like this, are they satisfied? Well, listen, I don't, we don't really look to satisfy one administration or the other. We look to make sure that we're doing the best we can, using our shareholders' uh, money appropriately, finding advantaged um, projects that allow us to grow production and grow value. We're also looking at uh, reducing our emissions. We announced in this quarter uh, the largest of its kind uh, carbon capture and storage uh, uh, partnership with CF Industries, where we will transport and permanently store CO2. That's a project that uh, makes us money uh, while reducing emissions. It's good for the planet. It's good for our shareholders. But when you're looking at these numbers, I mean, um, 
you pointed out that you all were investing. That was your plan to invest over the last couple of years, even when energy prices were much lower. Um, you feel some vindication at this point? Your stock just reached an all-time high last week, and if these levels hold, it's going to open at an even higher level this morning. Um, is this vindication in what you've been doing, Darren? Well, you know, Becky, you and I have talked about this over the years. We stay very focused on the long-term fundamentals, try to understand uh, where we, where the economies are going, what's the need going to be for the products that we produce, and then in anticipation of that, try to invest in uh, projects that give us an advantage. And so I would just say it's a vindication of this longer-term philosophy of focusing on the fundamentals, trying to address what I would say is a wide gamut of needs uh, from society. Uh, some of that has to do with energy and the products that we produce. Some of it is with reducing CO2 and emissions. And you know we can do both. This is an and equation, not, not either or. Darren, if you focus on long-term fundamentals, are you different than maybe the rest of the, of the industry? in that we're still in this country below levels that, that we were putting out in 2019. So someone wasn't focusing on long-term fundamentals or, or misinterpreted whether we were gonna be needing hydrocarbons till the middle of this century in all likelihood. I mean, the world is in, has a problem, Darren, and, and I don't know whether, it, I wouldn't blame it on necessarily the oil companies because you do what you gotta do based on all these, these other factors. You say you don't care about administrations. I think we. You know, you have to be watching what they're saying they're going to do or else you wouldn't be satisfying shareholders. So it's, it's, a di it's difficult to navigate. Well, I think, you know, Joe, it's, you know, in this environment, there's a lot of short-termism and pressure to, to move with what I would say the current narratives. Uh, so it's not an easy thing to do and not everyone does it. And, and when you do uh, move against the narrative and, and, and invest counter cyclically, which is what was the strategy that we laid out in 2018, uh, we took a lot of criticism for that. And so I think it's it's not an easy thing to do. I would also say it's not that we don't care about the administration. I, I didn't mean to, to imply that if that's what you took away. It's simply that we don't cater to any specific political agenda, but instead look for these longer term fundamentals. And then, of course, we work with the administration to try to help make sure they understand the fundamentals. And uh, we recognize the political dynamics and try to help them address those without uh, compromising what we believe are the long, long term, the right answers. Darren, I got two questions. One is there is a um, anti-ESG movement taking place uh, in some parts of the United States and maybe even around the world. Uh, we have a guest on, we've had him on a couple of times now, uh, Vivek Ramaswamy, who's actually started a fund uh, that is, is very explicitly trying to invest in fossil fuels and very explicitly trying to invest effectively against uh, clean tech. What do you make of that effort? Well, I think, you know, we've gotten into this uh, dynamic of where uh, people are choosing sides. It's either right or left, uh, right or wrong. Uh, and I, I continue to believe that, you know, again, this is an and equation. We can do both. We can grow production and uh, affordably and reliably meet the energy needs of people all around the world. Why we continue to make progress in reducing emissions. We're certainly doing that, uh, Andrew. We're growing our production while reducing emissions. I mentioned the CF Industries, uh, a deal that we recently did. You know, that's a profitable 
uh, a project that's very attractive it's, uh, in our portfolio. It makes us money, but it's at the same time reduces emissions. So good for the shareholders, good for the planet. So I think, you know, the trick here is to uh, leverage your core competencies, your competitive advantages, and then bring those to bear to help solve world's problems the, the, and the challenges uh, of the world. And, and we're, we're basically trying to do that. And I think the capabilities that we've built over the decades uh, position us very well to do that. And then separately, Darren, I, I was hoping you'd weigh in geopolitically about Saudi, because we've been having a, a debate around this table, and I think it's been a debate around the country and the world for the past uh, couple of weeks now. Uh, this report out uh, from the New York Times that there was a, a deal effectively made by the Biden administration with the Saudis on production, in part for him to go over there and have that meeting with MBS, and that they've now gone back on that. Is Saudi our friend or not? Well, I think if you step back and, and look at some of the stated policies of the Biden administration, where they have a longer term objective to put the oil and gas business in the U.S. to shut that down, that hands uh, pricing power uh, to OPEC. And I guess we shouldn't be surprised then when OPEC leverages and uses that pricing power. So I think what we ought to be focused on is not the political equation, but the long term fundamentals. This is a national security uh, problem. This is a, an economic problem and, and ensuring that we have affordable and reliable uh, energy here in the U.S. is, uh, I think, a very high priority that uh, uh, the administration ought to focus on. Hey, Darren, we, we hear about windfall profits being threatened in Europe and, and here by some congressional leaders, too. Um, what would you say back to an administration or uh, not to administration? What would you say back to any politician who is talking about uh, windfall profits tax for times when oil prices are high. Well, listen, I certainly understand why in the short term there is a very strong desire to do something. There are people all around the world who are feeling the pain associated with very tight energy markets and the prices associated with that. That has a direct impact on their standards of living. And no doubt about that. We have always recognized that. In fact, that's been one of the one of our primary drivers for thinking long-term and working to make sure that we could continue to provide that, that uh, supply. But I would tell you there's only one way to solve this or two ways to solve this problem. Uh, one is increased supply. The other is to reduce demand. High prices tend to do both in terms of bringing additional production on uh, and reducing consumption where, where you can afford to do that. Um, the policies that are being considered actually work against both of those things. Uh, disincentivizing investment you know, this business is cyclical. We have our, our ups and our downs. And uh, you live through the downs and take advantage of the ups. And on average, over time, you generate a reasonable return that justifies the capital. When you cap the high sides and uh, uh, the business goes through the lows without the compensating highs, you lower the overall returns and investments drop out. We demonstrated that back in the 1980s here in the U.S. when they put on a windfall profit tax. Uh, production went down. We, we uh, became less secure in our energy supplies. I think uh, politicians ought to step back and take a much longer term view of this and uh, understand the significant uh, downside consequences of some of these policies they're considering. I mean, let's talk about the SPR then, uh, Darren. You just said that uh, higher prices not only spur more uh, investment and more production, but also weaken demand. And the Fed's trying to weaken demand right now because of inflation. So. I mean, it's supposed to be used for an emergency. I don't know what an emergency is. Do you think higher prices at the pump, uh, maybe going into a midterm election, does that qualify as, a, uh, as an emergency for you? Do you think this is something we should be doing right now? 
I think the environment that we're experiencing now, Joe, uh, the seeds of that were planted many, many years ago. And unfortunately, um, the action needed, uh, well, well, you can take action today to try to, uh, in the short term, mitigate some of that. The longer term uh, response has to be uh, investment uh, to increase the supply. And uh, I would just say, I think I won't get into the, the political dynamics of what's happening and, and the motivation there. But I would say, uh, ultimately, we've got to increase supply if we're going to continue to meet the demands of a growing economy. So you, you're not willing to say it's, a mis it's, it's misguided and a mistake and could come back to haunt us? I think having a reserve, particularly in, in a, a volatile world that we're in today, is important. That that strategic petroleum reserve was established for that reason. I think that's an important reason and one that we should make sure that we maintain the integrity of that uh, backstop for the U.S. Darren, let's talk about CapEx, $5 billion in the quarter, $15 billion year to date so far. Um, these are, again, growing numbers. It, it doesn't match up to the highs that we'd seen um, in the pre-pandemic. I think CapEx in 2019 was at a high of $31 billion. You're on track for $21 to $24 billion this year. Will those numbers increase next year? So I think, uh, Becky, if you remember, go back in time when we were spending high, we were investing counter-cyclically. So that was the strategy. Is So when you're in the, in the lows of a market, that's the time to lean in, make investments, get high uh, capital productivity. Uh, as you move into the highs, which we're currently in today, that's when you focus on uh, the coming low and make sure that you're well positioned for that and, and not investing in giving uh, returns uh, to others in the supply chain and, and into to tight labor markets and to uh, tight um contractor markets. And so we, we are trying to maintain a level of that counter-cyclically. The, the programs that we lay, have laid out, the projects that we're pursuing are ones that have been in our uh, pipeline of, uh, of investment portfolio for, for years now. And so we're continuing to execute the plans that we've had and making sure that we're doing that in a very uh, capital efficient way. That makes sense. Uh, also increasing the dividend by three cents, I think to 91 cents. That's just part of the, the give back to shareholders who I guess suffered some pain over recent years too. Well, you know, we have a really strong commitment to our shareholders in maintaining that dividend. You, you'll recall when we went through the pandemic and we lost over $20 billion that uh, we were one of the few that did not cut our dividend, uh, not even by a penny, frankly. We, we hung on to that dividend and it has been one of the pillars of our capital allocation priorities. You know, first and foremost, find advantage projects and invest in those. Make sure we've got a strong balance sheet to help us weather the, the, the down cycles and then make sure that our shareholders uh, enjoy the returns uh, that our, our efforts uh, produce. And we're doing that this year through uh, both the dividends uh, and buybacks where uh, by the end of this year, we anticipate having about $15 billion of dividend spend and about $15 billion of buybacks. So we think a fairly balanced approach to returning uh, cash to our shareholders and, and having them enjoy the success of this company as well. And finally, the carbon sequestration business, you did recently have an announcement about a deal with CF Industries where this is business that is actually really paying you to do some of these things. What happens next? Well, I think that that deal, uh, in my mind, is extremely uh, encouraging. One, it validates the business model that we've put in place, that there is a profit opportunity to leverage the capabilities that we have in the company to help society reduce its emissions. I think it also demonstrates that those advantages are going to be needed if we're going to be successful as, as a, a world 
a society to reduce those emissions. We're, we're growing a brand new industry here, which is extremely complicated. You've got to have the technology to capture the CO2. You've got to transport. You've got to have the technology to store it and store it permanently. All the sectors uh, required to bring those together, multivariable, uh, multi-party uh, negotiations. You need scale to do that. Uh, all those strengths play directly into uh, our uh, wheelhouse and think give us a big advantage. And what we've seen with the CF Industries deal is those pieces coming together to have a very attractive opportunity. And frankly, we think a lot more of that to come. Darren, I want to thank you for your time today. Darren Woods, the chairman and CEO of ExxonMobil. Next on Squawk Pod, in the silver linings department, buying government I-bonds pegged to inflation lets you benefit in savings from a higher rate of interest. Now for the cloud, it may be your last chance to take advantage of 9% interest. These are things that usually you don't hear about from investment advisors because there's nothing in it for them to talk about these things. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. You're listening to Squawk Pod. Stand by Joe, his mic, Q. Good morning and welcome back to Squawk Box. Happy Friday on CNBC. We're live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Joe Kernan, along with Becky Quick. What? Happy Friday. You're supposed to be happy Friday. No, I'm like, happy Friday. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, Andrew Ross. Been a long night. Becky's here. Not a long Wait. night. No, I don't have, you may have long nights. I, I never have uh, long nights. I can't. And that's fine. There's nothing that happens after 8.30. Nothing. But late night? <laughs> I'm going to watch late night? What? Slip my wrist. What's wrong? Uh, There's some great late night uh, Gut film, maybe. Uh, Treasury yields right now uh, indicated at... Fallon, Seth Meyers. F- Fallon. Fallon. Okay, Seth yeah. Seth is okay. awesome. Come on. on. All right. Yes, Seth. Okay. In the meantime, the Treasury Department says that its overwhelmed website might not complete orders for I-bonds in time for the deadline for investors to lock in that 9.6% return rate. But that deadline will not be extended. In a statement, Treasury says extending the current rate past November 1st, when it will fall to about 6.5%, would threaten the operational integrity of the system. System's kind of been threatened anyway. If you've tried to get into that website the last couple of days, you can't. They'd prefer not to have to pay it out. Right. It would be an easier payout than trying to fix this. They've been saying that they're going to be uh, fixing this, adding additional servers to it, uh, but they won't say when. By the way, roll that back just a little bit. What did I miss here? Treasury says it issued $1.95 billion in I-bonds in the final week of October. That's more than they did in the entire fiscal year of 2021. So these are things that usually you don't hear about from investment advisors because there's no... Nothing in it for them to talk about these things, but this is also unusual because inflation's been so high, it's a much better deal. It is, and it's a... In a down market. My only problem is, you know, you could do it with all your kids and do it and and add up all the interest, and it's, uh, we've got to still find other other things, and it's still difficult, although not as uh, difficult. 
with near record high inflation and rising interest rates, uh, where will you get the best return on your cash? Where are the best places to put your short-term savings? These are the questions we're going to answer. CNBC senior personal finance correspondent Sharon Epperson joins us now with some options. Good morning. Good morning, Andrew. You know, there are some attractive opportunities for your emergency and short-term savings right now. The national average rate on a savings count is just over two-tenths of one percent, but the average rate on a top high-yielding savings account is about 2.34 percent. That's according to depositaccounts.com. And some rates at online banks are as much as three percent. Now, on a one-year CD, the national average is only about one percent, yet rates on top-earning one-year CDs average about 3.65 percent. And for savings you're not going to need for a year or more, the 9.62% rate on an I-bond is hard to beat, but you might not be able to get them right now, even if you're trying to buy them by today's deadline. As you heard earlier on CNBC, the Treasury Department says it may not be able to process the unprecedented demand for I-bonds in time to lock in that rate by October 31st. A new rate, which is expected to fall to about 6.5%, will go into effect on Tuesday for the next six months. Still, that's a far better return than you'll get on online savings accounts or CDs right now if you can actually buy the I-bonds. Even if the rate on I-bonds falls, is that still the best place for your savings? I think that's one of the big questions that people have right now. Yeah, it's an important question because you can't cash them in for 12 months. So if you cash in the I-bond in less than five years as well, you can you lose the last three months of interest. So you really need to think about this money that you're trying to cash in because if you try to do it, say, after 18 months, you're only going to get the first 15 months of interest. And that's why most financial analysts and advisors say it's not a good option for your emergency fund, for your liquid savings you might need right now. But for that short-term savings for a goal that's five years or more away, that's the place for your money. Sharon Epperson, thank you. And that's Squawk Pod for today and for the week. Friday. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. Listen anytime when you follow Squawk Pod. We are available for free download every day on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. We'll meet you back here on Monday. Have a good weekend. And we are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.